do more times like open mic like this, but we also want to encourage you. If you want to, if, if there's something you'd like to share, let us know. Let us know. We, we'd love to incorporate it into the worship. And it's a good lead-in into our series that we're starting today, uh, next slide here, called Balance. And with the next three weeks, and we actually have a guest speaker in the middle of that, but the next three weeks I'm preaching, we're going to be looking at these three different areas that we feel are critical for the Christian, but also for a church to have in balance robust orthodoxy, that what we believe is important, as well as intentional mission, this idea that we always have to be sent, always be living as if we're sent, and compassionate community, which we're going to look at this morning. This idea that it's important what we just heard here. It's important the lives that are being impacted together. And, and the way I wanted to introduce today's sermon on compassionate community, I think all these stories were a good lead-in because we live right now, 2015, and I'm, I'm still getting used to saying 2015, we live in an age of learning. Like it is, whether it's the internet or whatever it might be, just uh, the plethora of books and resources, people are smart. Christians are smart. There is just so much out there. Like, you don't have to go to seminary or, or graduate school to learn stuff. People know your ins and outs of, like, end times, eschatology, uh, soteriology, ecclesiology, all these ologies. Everyone knows this stuff. Good things. But, and, and that's really good. I want to celebrate it. But w what the danger is, is we can somehow think that gaining a lot of information can somehow mean more spiritual maturity. That somehow the more information we can accumulate in our minds somehow means we're more mature. And some of this is a product of just being in the West, kind of an individualistic mindset. I mean, you, you might have even heard of terms like your personal relationship with Jesus. And again, I have nothing against that. But it's a very kind of as if the whole goal of all that we do here is your personal relationship with Jesus. When the thing is. Um, your, your personal relationship with Jesus is important. Guys, we have to recognize this is all about so much more than just you and God. It's not just, I mean, and your mama might have told you ever since you were born, it's all about you. It's not, sorry. I don't mean to burst that bubble. But this is about way more than just you. It's about us. Because when we look at the scriptures, we see that God, he doesn't just transform individuals, but he builds a unified people for himself called the church. Where transformation, it's never just voiced individualistically, but it's always a collective affair. It's always about the people who are being formed. And I want to look at a couple of verses here from Hebrews that speak into this idea of, of the collective of people from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, where the author writes, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this letter that was written to this community of Hebrew Christians, I mean, the book is called Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew Christians. Um, these were people who generally had a great initial attraction to Jesus. They were on fire. They heard the gospel. They were all in. They were following Jesus, sold out in every way. But there, there were people who their faith was in danger of eroding. With this great initial attracted, uh, attractive they had to Jesus, it was starting to erode a bit. And a lot of this was blatantly due to great persecution that they experienced. These Hebrew Christians, they received a lot of persecution because of this new way that they were embracing in their lives. And, and what many were doing in this church, 
they were considering returning to the Old Testament priestly sacrificial system. They were considering returning to the old way of doing things. Hey, you know, following Jesus, it's kind of brought us to a bad place. I, I mean, you know, that guy on TV, and they didn't have TVs back then, whatever they had. They were telling us, we follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. But life has actually gotten a lot harder since we followed Jesus. How about if we go back to the way we used to do it? And let's just sacrifice, let's kill more animals. Let's, let's go back, you know. I think that's what's going to lead us to a greater peace. And, and that's why if you read throughout Hebrews, it talks so much about Jesus as the great high priest. Because it's reminding them, no, you don't, you don't need to live that way. There's a, there's a new way here. But guys, as much as you can preach this and write it eloquently like Hebrews, the struggle was real. They were going through persecution to the point that some even started to fall away and stop meeting together. And stop gathering together. Stop going to church, whatever that looked like for them. So when we read this exhortation in in, uh, chapter 10, in verse 24 and 25, the challenge here to not give up meeting together, guys, you have to recognize this because we see this through 2015 lens, and you can hear it as, come on, guys, you really need to get together because that's what good Christians do. You know, aren't you a good, don't you love Jesus? Then come and sing happy, touchy-feely songs because that's what good Christians do. This is not some sugary kind of touchy-feely or like this appeal to, man, aren't your best friends at church? They're missing you, and don't you miss them? It's not that. This is talking about basic spiritual survival. This is saying, considering all that you're going through, considering how hard life is, the testing of your, you really need one another if you're going to make it. If you're going to make it, you really need the church. So don't give up meeting together because you need other people to walk together with you. And even as I say that, some people, you know, and they got good theology, they get a little nervous because they're like, yo, dude, are you saying that you need anything other than Jesus Christ alone? Because I, I believe that in Christ alone, and let's sing the song, in Christ alone, I place my trust, and Jesus is my only rock that I stand on. I don't need anything except for Jesus. Put me on a desert island with just my Bible and just Jesus, and I will be totally fine. Um, cool. If you are ever on a desert island with just Jesus and just your Bible, I hope you do great. But... Um, I, I think, again, it's revealing kind of an individualistic mindset towards the nature of faith when the reality is we were always created to live and grow in community with others. This is not separated from Christ alone. It is Christ alone. If you believe in Christ alone, it means you need the people he's given to you in your life to walk together with. That if you and I, if we need community, that's actually not a sign of weakness. Rather, Not needing community is a sign of spiritual immaturity. So saying that you need other people, that's not a sign of saying you're weak or that somehow you're more immature. Actually saying you don't need other people, that's a sign of saying, oh, dude, you need a little growing up to do here. You you need some maturity here. It's not a sign of inner strength if you're not journeying with others. But what will happen, you will never grow as you were intended to if you're not walking in regular communion with other people. So on that thing, I want to look at a few ways that this kind of compassionate community we're looking at, how does this lead us to a deeper communion with Jesus? First verse I want to look at, Hebrews chapter 3, and they're up on the screen here, starting verse 12. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So in verse 12, when it talks there about uh, leading you to fall away, I don't think it's talking about losing your salvation. But in verse 13, it, it's a picture of sin that is given us as um, not this gigantic bite like, into your life. Like sin is like, think about sharks, right? I'm not a big shark week guy. I, I kind of don't get the fascination when shark week comes. People go crazy, like hashtagging shark, t- shark week and sharknado. And, you know, people love sharks. I mean, I, I'll eat them, but I don't want any much more contact beyond that. Um, but I, one thing I found fascinating about sharks is, again, I think we've watched a lot of the movies. So when I think of a shark attack, I'm thinking like Jaws, like do, 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 and eat the whole person. But the reality of how sharks attack is they take little bites. They take little nibbles out of you, like, like little nibbles so that you drain out. And again, a little too much imagery for some of you here. But that, that's how a shark attacks. It doesn't just take one giant it takes little bites so that eventually you lose strength, you lose weakness, you, you get weak, and you bleed out. And, and it's a picture of how sin works in our lives. Um, and, like, and let's be real. I have not met too many people, and again, there's always the exception. I have not met too many people who genuinely on a Sunday morning come here, and they are fired up for God. It's like all Jesus all the time. They are fully in. And then Monday morning, they're like... <sighs> I, I, I totally don't believe this. This is all BS. This is totally false. This is fake. How do you, you mental, mor- how, how, what? I have not met people like that. That's usually not the case. Usually, it's like a gradual kind of disillusionment. It's like a gradual questioning of faith. Little bit by little bit, doubting. Maybe frustrations with other people. Little frustrations with the church. Maybe questions that you feel aren't being really legitimately answered. And, and it's these doubts that little bit by little, almost like those little shark bites, that lead to a hardening of our heart. And, and I mean, and that's real. That's part of the journey. But where it can be really damaging to our souls is if you're isolated when, while that's happening. If, if sin is kind of hardening your heart little by little, the deceitfulness of sin, and if you're alone and nobody recognizes it, that's a dangerous place to be. Because it's dangerous, because you can still come to church like every Sunday, and you can look like you got it all put together. You can be smiling. You can be dressing well. And when I mean dressing, I'm not talking about your clothes, but the way you appear to people. People might look at you from across the room and say, wow, homie got the Jesus thing down. They, they, they know how to do this. They, they, their life must be perfect when inside you're dying. Inside your soul is being crushed in doubt and despair. And, and, and you feel your faith is being eroded away. And you're saying to yourself, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I, I don't know how much I, more I have in many. So as sin nibbles on each of us, as sin kind of um, hardens us little bit by little bit, the way we combat this is by walking in a way with other men and women where people know you enough to recognize that this is happening. Like, they're enough in your life and you're in their life that they see this kind of starting to happen because the reality is no one is going to recognize that here coming every Sunday, even if you're here every week, 52 a year. No one will recognize that gradual hardening of your heart from sin. But people who meet with you regularly have a better shot of doing that. And, and they will recognize whether maybe you need to be encouraged or maybe you need to be rebuked. 
And if you don't have these play things in place, you will eventually be overcome by the defe- deceitfulness of sin. And l- I mean, let's be real. I don't think anyone enjoys being rebuked. Um, I haven't met too many people like that saying, yo, you know, I am really reading my Bible. And I need to be rebuked. Can someone help me rebuke me? Um, I mean, there's not too many like that. And I think that's why so many of us take it poorly, right? Well, that's not your business. What, what do you, you don't know, right? We, we don't take it well. But there is great wisdom and, and there's a great blessing in having people who will recognize sin in your life and that they will speak truth lovingly into your life. Um, I mean, that's a great blessing. You might not think of it as a blessing. You might think of it as nosy people or people who got nothing better to do. If they're doing it in love, man, there is no better friend than that. And I remember in my life, and I, I know y'all look at me, you're thinking, man, you must have been like walking with Jesus since you were born, just jumped out of the womb and praising Jesus and like anointed by the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, I'm like a, a dunderhead. Like I am so thick in the skull, and it's taken me so many years just to feel like I get basic stuff down. I'm like not that bright. Um, I'm arrogant. I'm proud. Um, and I remember once, one, like when I first started uh, pastoral ministry and I started to preach, and I wouldn't preach that often, but every so often I could preach. And I can talk. I mean, before I got called in the ministry, I could still talk. And maybe it was about the Phillies or the Eagles, but I could talk, right? Um, and, and, and I remember one sermon I gave, I thought I blew the doors off. I was like, man, I had them with me, and I was going, and people were laughing. They were cracking up, and people were right there. And afterwards, everyone would say how entertained they were. And, this was, and I was like sky high. And I remember one of the other pastors on staff, a little bit older than me at the time, he pulled me aside afterwards. He said, hey, yeah, you know, great job. But I, I feel like after this sermon, I found out a whole lot more about you than I did about Jesus. I was like... And I'll, I'll be, I hated him at that moment. I was like, you're just jealous. <laughs> what was a hater? Hater's going to hate, right? What's wrong with you? Why can't you celebrate? Why can't you be like the TV guys that are uplifting and tell me how much God loves me? But you know what? That, was, that must have been like over 15 years ago. And that stuck in my mind because I was, man, he is so right. Because preaching can be an excuse for guys who get up who have no no one ever listens to them, and they just get 30 uninterrupted minutes to just talk about themselves and feel better about themselves rather than being a conduit through which the grace of God is communicated, the truth of God is communicated. And it's been a message I hear in my voice challenging me. Yeah, are people finding out more about me or the church or about how to live? Or are they finding out about Jesus? And I, I needed that voice. I needed that voice because sin can harden us little by little. Um, so a mark of a compassionate community is having some people in your life who are not so impressed by you. And let's be real. We all like people in our life who are impressed by us. We like a lot of Twitter followers. We like a lot of Facebook friends. We like those people who like everything we put on. We like those people. We like to be celebrated. We all got an inner celebrity within us. But a true friend is the person who loves you so much that they're not so impressed by you that they won't tell you the truth when you need to hear it. That is a compassionate friend. That they're so full of grace and kindness, yet they also clearly call you to repent and find your hope in Jesus. That they'll speak truth and love you to you, not because they're out to get you. And we know people like that, right? We know some people who they're going to speak the truth, but it's because they're out to get you. They are a hater, but it's because that they have so much love for God that they have so much compassion for you. 
That's, that's one mark of a compassionate community. Uh, another one, let's, let's go to James 5.16, it, it, where James 5 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Deep, deep verse here from the book of James. And, you know, as a response to some things in the Catholic Church that are, we would say, are, that are aberrant, that are just not biblical, that are not found from the Scripture at all, um, some people bristle at anything that's associated with the Catholic Church. But I, I think one practice that's mentioned here that I think is worth considering is this idea of confession. I think that's something worth considering in our lives. I want to make really clear before some of you start sending me hate tweets or hate me. Um, you do not need any man to tell you are forgiven. Amen? You do not need any person, no matter how holy they look, to tell you that you are forgiven of your sins, to be cleansed. Only God forgives. Amen? Oh, let's get, let's get that part down. Um, but the thing is, even though we know only God forgives and we don't need anyone else to forgive, forgive us, many of us don't functionally believe it. Many of us, we might fully know that God has forgiven us. Jesus on the cross died and he cleanses us of our sins. But the way we live, we don't fully believe, actually, that our sins are forgiven. We still doubt. So we hide. And you might have the soundest doctrine in the world. You might be able to, like, quote off the solas and, you know, talk about the Reformation, this and that, and in Christ alone and grace of faith. You, know, you might know all of those things. But yet you have certain areas of your life that you have been hiding. And the longer you're doing it, you're good at it. you got like a closet in your soul that you store away the stuff that you don't want anyone to know about. You hide it. And, and the thing about hiding it is we somehow think it's going to make it go away. That hiding it will take away our shame. That as long as no one finds out about our stuff, we'll be okay. But the truth is like a fungus, the more you put it in the dark, the more it will grow. Like mold. Because when it says here in this passage, confess your sins and pray for one, or that you, one another that you may be healed, I believe that one aspect of the healing that's mentioned here is the removal of this weight of shame from our shoulders. I think that's one of the ways it talks about healing here. Because even though you might have fully confessed before God, and you might fully believe that it's in Jesus Christ that you have your forgiveness alone, we somehow still carry this weight of our shame and say, yes, God has fully forgiven me, but he couldn't forgive me for this. And no one ever better find out. And we live in this lie of things that you have done in the past. Maybe things that have been done to you. Of people that you've harmed. Of ways you've harmed yourself. And you're like, yes, I fully believe these songs and I'll sing it. But man, this can't be covered by the grace of God. And it's the lies of the enemy into your life. And you need to actively go against that and confess to one another. Again, you don't need anyone to forgive you. Their forgiveness is not going to make you more forgiven before God, but it's for your healing. It's for your shame and guilt to be removed. You need someone who can look you straight in the eye after you've told them some things that you are horrified of and says, brother, sister, remember that God loves you and forgives you, and so do I. And they hug you, and they weep with you, and they say, this is not your story anymore. You're a child of God. Because the mark of a compassionate community is being able to openly confess our sins to one another without fear that you'll be judged, but rather pointed to the healing grace found in Christ Jesus. 
And guys, this is one I want you to really take to heart because one thing I continue, I shouldn't get surprised by this because um, I, our church is kind of a messy place, but I still have this illusion that we're overall, we're pretty like, you know, we don't got stuff. But man, I don't know how many conversations I have with people and I get shocked how well we're hiding stuff in our life. <laughs> as clean cut as we might even look on the outside. Deep wounds, deep shame, deep guilt, ways we've harmed others, ways we have been carrying guilt from our families, from our souls for so long, and just awaiting the freedom of Jesus Christ, saying, you're freed. Take the sin off of your shoulders. I've forgiven you. You don't have to live in that shame any longer. That's another mark of a compassionate community. Let's move on to this one from Acts 9. Acts 9, starting verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples. We're talking about Paul here. And declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Again, this is speaking about the Apostle Paul. And what this is saying, if you guys don't know the history, you can read it on your own. Before this, Paul, his name was Saul. And he was the most notorious hunter of these new people called Christians. He was a God-fearing Jew. He loved God. He thought he obeyed the law. But he hated these Christians. So he he made it his mission to see that they were arrested and killed. But then God met him on the road, blinded him, and he received Jesus. He started to follow him, and God gave him this call to go out and talk about Jesus. But if you are, like, um, a good Christian in that day, and you hear these rumors, like, uh, um, it's like hashtagging, like, Paul, Saul is Paul, you know, whatever. And you hear that this, there's this new guy, Paul. You got in your mind thinking, okay, you know, this is like some deep, dirty scheme, <laughs> this dude, this is like crazy. This is like the Americans. This is like, you know, this is like spy stuff. You know, he's going undercover. He's going covert operations. He's pretending to be one of us so he can get inside and he's just going to wipe us all out. And his past was crushing him. The, the church didn't trust Paul. We know you. We've heard what you've done. Are you kidding? We're not going to let you in. Until his friend Barnabas, one of his closest friends, who witnessed the transformation, was able to speak on his behalf, put his arm around and prove her and say, nah, it's real. God has worked in this guy's life. Trust him. And look what Paul ended up doing, becoming the apostle to the Gentiles. Simply, really simply, um, a compassionate community helps people not to be trapped in their past, but set free in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Especially in our church, so many of us, and we even heard stories right early before this, are caught in our past. This is what happened to me. This is what I am. I, I'm, I'm never going to be more than this. Or the, and the, one of the most powerful things that we as a compassionate community can do is come around one another and say, you know what? That's part of your story, and we're not ignoring that. That's work to frame who you are. But that's not all you are anymore in Christ. Amen? That there is redemption available even for the worst of sinners. So don't, don't let the haters say that's all you'll ever be. Don't let anyone say you'll never be more than that. And to recognize, but that has to come from the community around you, like a Barnabas to the Paul. One final one here of how compassionate community works, Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
Cesar, can I ask you to come up here for a second? Yeah, come on. Hold this Bible up in the air. Imagine this is like, um, Cesar's really strong, so imagine this is like a 100-pound brick so he's holding above his head. And if, if I was going to help Cesar uh, lift this thing, Um, this idea of carrying each other's burdens. How do you help someone who's carrying a load that's too heavy? Um, to help someone who's carrying a burden, you need to get in really close to them. You need to get in almost uncomfortably close if you're really helping to carry a burden. You almost virtually need to stand in their shoes to carry that weight that it comes upon you as well. And notice here, it doesn't just say bear others. This is not just saying, okay, go find other people that you need to help. It says bear one another's. This is supposed to be a mutual go back and forth thing. It's describing community where you don't just carry your loads alone, but you also don't, you also find others you can help, but you also find people who will help you with your load. And it's because it's confessing a pride. So many of us have pride to say, I don't need anyone's help in my life. And a compassionate community saying, no, I need to help other people, but I also need people who are going to help me in my life. So as we talk about some of these different ways of what compassionate community, I, I want to say this. This message is pri not primarily about, this is not like a, a group, community group drive. I mean, realistically, we want you to get into community groups. But the purpose of this is not all to me wrap this up in a shiny little bow now and say, okay, now that you've seen the importance of biblical community in life, what, don't you want to be in a community group where this will all magically happen as you sprinkle some Jesus dust all over it? I, I mean, I don't think that's the way it works. But, but it's a way of saying that compassionate community, it, it takes intentionality. It takes purpose. You don't just fall into community. You pursue it. And, and we want to suggest at our church that taking a step to get into a community group uh, and committing to that, that might be an intentional step for you if you are not at that place. And especially as our church is just growing, you know, numerically, but otherwise, but as our church is growing, in some sense, as we grow with more people, we need to grow smaller. And that sounds oxymoronic, but as overall we're growing bigger, we need to grow smaller in these little, in these smaller communities because there's just no way people are going to know you the way we're talking about in these compassionate descriptions in, in this larger community here. Um, I mean, one of my visions is that we are getting to a place where something is happening to your life. And not that I don't care, but I would be like the last person to hear about a struggle you're going through because your community group's got that. The group that you're part of, they know what you're struggling with. They know what you're going through. They know some of your needs, and they've rallied together to take part of it. And Pastor Dan at the end said, well, I didn't even know that was going on. Oh, I'll pray. Um, I mean, that, that's the kind of community we need to build. That's not being all tied to one or two or a few people, but there's like little pockets of church all over this larger church. And I think we've got this next slide talking about groups here just for a second. And inside of your bulletin, I think you, you should have a card that describes some of our community groups. And you can look that over, take it with you, contact people. I wanted to highlight a few of them really quickly here. One of the groups is our redemption group that was mentioned earlier. Uh, Rob leads that. 
This is, I want to make really clear, this is not just for people who struggle with particular issues of recovery. This is for anyone, but especially if that's your struggle and that's your journey, this group is designed for you to be able to get into and talk honestly about some of those issues of recovery and experience redemption. Another, a new group we have, this is really exciting. We're launching a new group out on Thursday evenings, a new community group on Thursday evenings in Charles Village, uh, Mount Vernon area. And we want to invite you to be part of that. If you're not part of a group already, or even if you are, help a new group get started. That's going to be on Thursday evenings. Mary Ann's going to lead that. And also, you see a foundations group listed at the bottom there. This is actually my effort to get into your lives if you want it. I'm going to be leading pockets of uh, groups throughout uh, our church or people who really want to say, I just need to grow as a Christian. Help me. And I'm going to commit to walk with you together in that if you're interested. So, Um, take this with you, contact the people. Again, we are not like a cult. No one will be hounding you down and say, okay, you have not signed up for a group. You've been here for two and a half months. By this point, you should have been in a group. What is wrong with you? You No one's going to do that. You're adults. But if you want to grow into a deeper understanding of Christ, we believe that's essential to be in community in some form to be able to do that. Again, Being part of a community takes intentionality. There was a recent New York Times article you might have seen. It was talking mainly about romantic relationships, but I think it was applicable generally. But it was talking about this idea that love is a choice. You might have seen it, right? That This New York Times article saying basically love is a choice because we've got this Hollywood mentality that you somehow just fall into love. That somehow you're off getting your latte in a coffee shop and you match eyes with someone and some, again, like, Maybe not Jesus does, but like love does, sprinkles and you know, and you enter this like amazing love relationship with this person. No, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it doesn't work that way. And if if you get into a marriage, you are going to sorely find out if that's what you're looking to keep your marriage going. You are in deep doo doo. It takes work. It takes choices. It takes intentional choices. And I think this is applicable as we think about the church as well, because many of us, um, we've got this sense that we want church relationships to be organic. We want to be able to come, and I want to just be able to feel like I was part of this church my whole life, and I just slide right in. And we were, like, talking about our deep, lifelong struggles right away, and we pray for each other. It's like brothers from another mother, like, right away. Um, but the, the truth is, you will not always feel like it. You, you, you will not always feel, just like in marriage just like in family, um, being part of a church community, it will take intentional choices as well. And, and here's a part for our church, particularly across cultural divides. And, and I want to give this word a little strongly. The truth is you can come in here and you might feel a natural affinity right away. If you are Asian, for example, you might feel, man, I connect right away with other Asians. I'm not even working hard. Or if, you, you know, whatever it might be, For a church like ours that's talking about what does it look like for us to be a diverse community, multiculturally, the reality is for you to build those kind of relationships with others, it might feel like it's not as natural. Across class lines, across ethnic lines, across social lines, it might feel like it's taking a little more work, a little bit more effort. But I want to encourage you that sometimes work is not the worst thing in the world. Don't fall into this myth that it needs to feel organic and natural. Because sometimes the way that the Holy Spirit works in their church community is call you to love people who you have absolutely nothing in common with. And say, become a sister, become a brother, become a mother, become a father to someone that you absolutely would not hang out with with any other reason other than the cross of Jesus Christ uniting you together. That's how the church works. 
Because, guys, this is a matter of survival. Maybe it doesn't feel like the original Hebrews matter of survival, but have you ever thought about how crazy what we talk about sometimes sounds like? Um, yeah, guys, give up every part of your life. I want you to actually give money and, and give time and sell out your life and stop pursuing your dreams and pursue God's dreams, even going to all over the world. Sell out, you know, don't worry about the world. Don't, don't worry about succeeding, but just praise God and come here every week, even during football season, and be with each other and give up an evening of the week when you're dead tired from working all day and sacrifice and love one another people and in your free time, use it for... Have you ever thought about how insane that sounds? That's just dumb. I mean, it's, it's really, it's insane. It makes absolutely no sense in the world. And that's why we need one another. That's why you need to get down in group with other people, look at each other every so often and say, are you guys hearing the same thing I'm saying? Isn't this kind of nuts? Praise God, we have one another. Now we keep moving. We keep going. Because, guys, compassion is not easy it's not natural. And we remember uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as we were talking about. Um, there's, there's a reason why men like him and others, Rosa Parks, Mad Gravers, um, there's a reason why their stories touch us. Because they advocated loving other people, even people who hated them. And to not respond to evil with more evil, but with kindness and with compassion. And for men like Dr. King, ultimately to the point where he would even give his own life. And it was taken from him. But you have to know that he knew he was putting himself in situations where his life could very much be taken. And to do that, and sacrifice, and there's a reason why his story and so many others resonate with yours and mine, and we sit here, and our hearts are moved. You know why you're so moved? Because it's a great thing, But it also points to the Christ. The the reason your heart gets stirred over these things is because you're reminded of hope. You're reminded of the idea that the world is jacked up and broken. But in the midst of that comes a hero, Jesus Christ, who gives himself compassionately, sacrifices himself for people who don't want anything to do with him, and gives up his life. Why? Because he compassionately loves Because ultimately, for you and I to have a community where we love one another compassionately, it's not about us trying to be kind enough, because none of us are that kind. It's ultimately about coming back to the compassion of the cross. It's ultimately coming back to Jesus, who loved us when we were his enemies. And worshiping him. And knowing that we were muck and mire, deep in our knees, playing in filth, that Jesus came and made us his own and loves us ultimately to the point of giving his own life so that we could be made right with God. And once you and I experience the compassion of Christ in our lives, in our souls, we are able to share that compassion with others. Amen. I love our church. I don't know if I tell you, and I'm I'm not bragging like, oh, our church, It's, it's not that. But God is genuinely causing an affection in my heart for you guys. And I want to see that played out in little pockets of community across our church. That's how it's going to happen. Sundays are great. But I would encourage you, if you're not already, get into a community group. Find a few other people that you can share this compassion with together. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. And as our music team comes up to lead us in a few songs to respond in closing here, I want to encourage you, um, take action on this. 
I know the easy temptation is just to listen to this message and maybe get even stirred up a little. Take action. Get involved in some community if you're not, and take some of those steps even if it doesn't feel natural. Fight against this temptation that has to feel magical, organic, or natural, and get in and commit because God will work in those ways and give you people to love, but people to love you compassionately as well. Heavenly Father, as we come to you right now to come to the table and dine with you and remember the Jesus Christ who unites us and gives us community, we worship you, we sing. As we receive this communion, we remember your broken body, that this is not a cheap compassion, Lord. This is not a compassion looking at us from afar. This is a compassion that got knee-deep into our world, into our muck and our mire, into our sin, into our darkness, into our pain, into our shame, into our guilt, and you take it upon yourself. And, Lord, we worship you, and we we, we remind ourselves we're united with you when we're in Christ, And and that's the only hope we have to be able to share that with other people as well. So help us to remember that as we come up to receive communion. And, Lord, if any of us do not know you in that way yet, we, re- we want to receive you today. Help those in this room who, who need to know the compassion of Jesus, that this would get real. Just like we've even heard today, it would start to get real. And we would respond by following you and loving others. So we thank you, Lord, for the compassion you show us that we can share with others as well. So why don't we stand together and we're going to sing. Again, um, the communion table is open here. If you're a Christian, I would invite you to come up. Take a piece of the wafer. Remember the body of Christ broken. Dip it in the cup. Remind yourself. Remember the sins that are forgiven through the blood of Christ. And, and take it right there at the table as part of your worship. Let's, let's respond in this way.